What's up, everyone? I'm Joe Pompliano, and this is The Joe Pomp Show. Today's episode is with Zach Maritas. Zach is the founder and CEO of Teamworks, a digital software used by more than 5,000 sports organizations globally to manage their operations. We discuss how Zach started the business as a student-athlete at Duke University, the journey from bootstrapping to raising $100 million, the future of sports tech, and much more. This was an awesome conversation with Zach, and I hope that you guys enjoy it. But before we get into it, let's quickly run through today's sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Whoop. I've been wearing a Whoop for several years now, and it has made a massive difference in my life. It's the only tech product that I wear 24-7, so it's pretty cool to see people like Patrick Mahomes, Rory McIlroy, Michael Phelps, and Justin Bieber wearing one also. Whoop automatically measures your respiratory rate, oxygen level, resting heart rate, heart rate variability, calories, and activity levels throughout the day. Sure, it might sound complex, but Whoop interprets the data for you so it's easy to digest and actionable. And now, their 4.0 is officially back in stock and shipping in real time. But here's the best part. Whoop is offering my listeners 15% off their Whoop 4.0 right now with the code Joe at checkout. So go to Whoop, W-H-O-O-P.com and enter Joe at checkout to save 15%. Sleep better, recover faster, train smarter, and now feel healthier with Whoop. Next up is 8sleep. 8sleep has dramatically improved my daily performance. For me, I was never able to get a good sleep because I was always too hot, but now I'm falling asleep in record time, faster than I had before, all thanks to my 8sleep Pod Pro cover. The Pod Pro cover by 8sleep is the most advanced solution on the market for thermoregulation. You can add the cover to any mattress. The temperature regulation will create the optimal sleeping environment by adjusting to each side of the bed based on personalized sleep stages, biometrics, and bedroom temperature. The results are proven to be true. Clinical data shows that 8sleep users experience up to 19% increase in recovery, a 32% improvement in sleep quality, and 34% more deep sleep. But it's not just me who sleeps on an 8sleep. The product is so good that it's garnered the attention of CEOs, Olympians, UFC champions, and even the Mercedes Formula One racing team. So go to 8sleep.com Joe, that's J-O-E, to redeem an exclusive 4th of July savings and start sleeping cool this summer. 8sleep currently ships within the USA, Canada, the UK, select countries in the EU, and Australia. Joe Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of Joe Pompliano and his guests are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion by Joe or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, let's get into this episode. All right, guys, I'm here with Zach Maritas. Hopefully I said that right. I asked him literally 30 seconds ago before we started recording here. Zach, how are you, man? I'm doing great, Joe. Thanks for having me. Of course. Happy to do it. So for those that don't know, you're the founder and CEO of Teamworks, which is a big business now. You guys just raised a Series D, a $50 million funding round. Your guys are known as the operating system for sports, which kind of encompasses a few different things that we'll get into. But maybe let's start a little bit with your background, because I think it's probably worthwhile where you came from, your college career, and so forth. And frankly, you know, Teamworks is really a derivative of my background, of my experience, right? So I grew up north of Chicago, high school football player, and got recruited to play football at Duke University. So in 2003, I showed up on campus in Durham on a football scholarship. And even about 20 years ago, Duke had constructed a pretty robust ecosystem of support around their athletes. So beyond just your standard coaches, trainers, strength staff, 
we had a full-time registered dietitian that would work with us on you know nutrition and kind of what we were eating, which again, was very rare back then to have that. We had behavioral psychologists, sports psychologists, academic tutors, life skills coaches. We had about 15 different professionals that worked with each athlete. And their shared goal was how do we make Zach and every athlete on campus as successful as possible on the field, in the classroom, and in life. And Duke had made this massive investment, but oftentimes because they had so many people all trying to serve the athletes at once, those folks would all kind of collide with each other. And so oftentimes the result wasn't that I was eating better, sleeping better, working out better. The result was that I was just kind of getting pulled in 15 directions and wasn't really getting much of anything done. So each one of those folks would communicate in a different way. One person would text me when they needed me. Another person would email me. This person put on a whiteboard. This person put paper in my locker. And inevitably, I'd end up showing up late for appointments or just completely missing an appointment. And when I was playing, if you showed up late or missed an appointment, you ran to stadium stairs at four o'clock in the morning. So we'll suffice to say that I was in outstanding cardiovascular shape at the end of my freshman year, but I was pretty frustrated and they were frustrated. So just kind of experiencing that chaos was the impetus for Teamworks. And so, you know, fast forward a few years in 2005, I recruited my co-founder, a guy named Sean Powell, who was roommates with one of my computer science TAs to help build some software to ease that problem. And what we built was a collaboration platform that was just purpose built from the ground up for, at that time, a college football team. And what we were trying to accomplish and what we ended up doing was really providing two key points of value. Number one, we built a system that allowed for all 15 of those people to kind of collaborate in the care and development of the athletes. So they were able to kind of passively collaborate with each other on when they needed me, what they needed from me, et cetera. And then number two, it gave the athlete a single portal, a single place to go, whether it was related to on the field football, work in the classroom, weight room, training room, et cetera. We rolled it out with our team and you know it started, and I will say this of my time at Duke, teamers can do a lot of things that can't win football games for you, but it did reduce some of the chaos that we were experiencing and it really worked. It cleaned up that mess. People weren't showing up late. Athletes knew what they needed to do. Those administrators were saving time and you know, we started taking it to other teams on campus. And by the time I graduated, we had pretty much the whole athletic department using. So that's really the beginnings of Teamworks was that kind of very first collaboration platform that we launched in 05. I feel like Duke is one of the few schools in the country where you can assume that a football player on the team built the software that the team is using to communicate, which is fascinating. How did that process go? Were they open to it from the get-go? Like, yeah, sure, you built something. Let's try it out. Let's see if it works. So I will say that to the great credit of Carl Franks and Ted Roof, the two head coaches that I played under when I was there, they were very supportive. And I think that's a big part of what they were selling in the recruiting process was like, hey, come here. This is a special place where you can do things maybe you couldn't do other places. Their sell was always like, you're going to build a career here, not just a football career, but a lifetime career. First and foremost, the coaches were very supportive. They were like, hey, you know, how can we help? Can we introduce you to folks in the athletic department? I actually, when I drew up my first business plan, I went to Blair Shepard, who is the dean of students at Duke. I think he's running global consulting for PwC now. But I went and sat down with him for five hours and got like all this free consulting advice from this incredibly high level, you know, strategic business mind on how do I build and launch this product. So Duke was super supportive. 
again, I'll say we were a lot better at starting software companies and winning football games when I was there. So at least we got, you know, we were working on the endowment, right? I will say no doubt it was a challenge to try and balance all the commitments of being an athlete and being a student and then also running this business. But I think with their support, I was able to thread the needle. I didn't have a lot of free time. What little free time I had, I actually in college had another business that I ran with a guy I grew up with, a guy named Stephen Galanis, who's now CEO and founder of Cameo. Yeah. So we had a marketing business, as we like to call it, a party business in college. But that was really between that and Teamworks, that was all my free time. Nice. I know Steven. He's a great guy. Cameo is a great idea too. That's awesome. So you graduated in what year? 2006? So I graduated in 07. So that was my last season. Yep. Gotcha. And do you immediately know right away, this is what you're going to focus on and you start trying to scale this outside of Duke? I did know that it's what I wanted to focus on. I got to be honest with you though, at 22, I just didn't feel like I knew how to run a B2B SaaS company. Yeah. And so already at that point, I had sold it to about five other schools. I think Northwestern was the first school outside of Duke, their football program to acquire it. But I went to work at a company called SideQuest, which today goes by a different name. It's Jagger, but they were selling, they were B2B SaaS companies selling purchasing software to pretty much every university and college in the country at that time. So I was like, hey, let me go and work here, learn from like a leadership team that kind of knows how to do it. At that time, they were two years away from going public and about a hundred person company. I joined SideQuest on the product team. They knew that I was working on Teamworks on the side and they were cool with it. They're like, we love that. Like, you know, just don't let it interfere with your duties here. But that was really a great experience because I would go to work every day and kind of work at a SaaS company. And by the way, every day I was like taking the VP of sales to lunch or the VP of marketing or the CEO and like picking their brain. And then I'd go home at night and kind of try and apply it to what we were doing with Teamworks. It was right around the time that they went public in 2009 that I was like, hey, we're in the middle of the worst recession since 2001. I got a great job at a great company, just went public. Let's go ahead and quit that job and try and start our own company. So that's what I did. I left convinced my two co-founders to leave their jobs. But Steve Weehy, who was the CEO of SideQuest to this day, is still one of my closest mentors. He's been so much really helped me along. So it was actually, I think, a really important moment that I didn't just leap right into it because I collected a lot of mentors during that year and a half, two years that I was there, which helped me throughout the next five years, which were probably some of the most crucial in the history of the company. Yeah. I'd love to talk a little bit about the fundraising because I think about this in a few different ways. Sports tech has obviously evolved as a fundraising category over the last decade. It wasn't very popular, and now it's immensely more popular, at least to some degree. But we look at this now over a decade past from when you founded this business, and you have you know 5,000 teams signed up. You have 150,000 athletes globally on the platform. You guys just raised $50 million. I think you've raised $100 million to date. What has that process been like? Early on, how difficult was it? And then progressing through, did it get easier? I think a couple of things. Number one... In 2010, not only was maybe sports tech not an area that a lot of VCs were looking at, but like vertical SaaS was like, everybody was like, why vertical SaaS? The TAMs are too small. And people hadn't quite realized just number one, like the degree to which you can really own a vertical, the much lower CAC that basically it's a lot cheaper to acquire customers in vertical SaaS. It's a lot more efficient growth. And so investors as a whole weren't really focused on vertical SaaS. So from 2010 to 2015, we bootstrapped the company for two reasons. One, I think that the sports industry and its appetite for technology, we were ahead of it. Number two, I think the venture community just had not arrived. We raised our first round of outside capital in 2016. And at that point, I think we were doing like $2 million a year in ARR. We'd been growing over 100% a year for several years. 
most of the VCs that we were talking to at that point either had no clue about the sports vertical or at that point they had been burned by their first investment in the sports vertical. So it was really hard to raise that Series A because there's not a lot of public analysis. People didn't really understand the size of the opportunity. We were definitely selling ourselves hard to the investment community. You know, fast forward to when we raised the B in 2018, I think there were more folks starting to get number one, vertical SaaS was a thing. People, you know, there were a lot of thematic investors that were focused on vertical SaaS. There were more and more investors that had a thesis in sports tech and it was easier. I think the round that we closed in early 2020, I think the space is much more well understood. And the most recent round, like people, they see the huge opportunity. They see some of the big companies like Huddle that have been built in the space. And they understand that there is a really big TAM to go after there. I mean, there's probably our estimate is somewhere between 20 and 25 billion a year being spent in the sports vertical in North America on technology. And that's growing pretty aggressively as this industry catches up, right? I would say it's changed a lot. And it's changed, number one, because the organizations are buying more technology. Number two, because investors understand and appreciate the sports tech vertical. And then number three, because vertical SaaS is, again, something that people are focused on, where in 2010, it was not. In my mind, like you almost have to convince them teams specifically in organizations that it's no longer a line item, right? It's not just an expense, something that they need and is required, but it can be a competitive advantage, right? If you use it in the right way. Is that something that you feel you guys have crossed that line already or you're still working towards that? You know, it depends on the market. So you'll cross in the chasm. I mean, we find that, you know, you have the first 15 or 20% of every league that are the early adopters, the innovators, you know, oftentimes those aren't the teams that have a dynasty because the ones that have a dynasty are very resistant to change. They're like, what we're doing is working. I don't want to change it. So you're trying to go and find those organizations that are on the come up that are saying, hey, look, we're looking to find differential advantage and then go and be a part of that success story. And as you get into those organizations and they succeed, then those staff get hired away by other organizations that want to tap into that success. And oftentimes that's how you get pulled into kind of the early and the late majority. So we find that if we get that first 15, 20% of early adopters, like number one, we know that our product is going to create a differential advantage to them. And usually out of those first few clubs, like they're going to start virally infecting other clubs as the coaching and player carousel turns. We have NFL clubs that we have signed that we were chasing for three years that finally called us and said, we, our locker room has been demanding this for the last two seasons. And now it's like 80% of our locker room that had it all through college and every other place that they were at. So oftentimes we've just got to get that first slice and then that kind of pulls us through the market. And that's true with any technology that's going to create value and create an advantage for them. Yeah, the growth appears to compound over time, right? Just based on kind of how many people are using it. I'd love to learn kind of how this works from sign up till kind of the full life cycle, right? I don't know if you want to use an NBA, NFL, whatever kind of team you want to use college. When you guys go sign them up, how does that process work? Like how do you want to onboard them? And then what do they actually start doing on the platform? Yeah, and, and I should say today we have three product lines, right? So we've got the Teamworks Hub product line, which is that original platform, obviously it's evolved quite a bit, but solving the problem in these organizations of, we've got too many people that aren't working well together. And then number two, we have the influencer product line, which today is very heavily focused on brand building and name, image, and likeness. And then number three, we have Noteal, which is technology around performance nutrition. So I'll just talk about Hub. You know, when we're coming into an organization, what Hub is really trying to do is capture all of the information flow in that organization. So everything from chats across departments, 
to all the paperwork that's being processed, schedules, et cetera. We have an MLB organization that says, hey, we want to go forward with this. We want to put all of our minor league programs on it. First thing we're going to do is we're going to come in and map all their business workflows and logic. So who are all the people that are involved from athletes to support staff to all of their processes? Over a period of 30 days, we're going to digitize all of that information and all that process into the TeamWorks platform and get them to a point where an app on the athletes and staff's phone is going to really replace a lot of legacy functions. And so, you know, what that was 10 years ago, we're replacing whiteboards and binders and text messages from one phone to another. But today, you know, oftentimes we're replacing five or six horizontal. Hey, we're using Google apps for this. We're using WhatsApp for that. We're using this custom build that our IT department put together. And we're trying to get all of the information sharing that's happening behind the scenes in one place, right? So I'm a player that gets called up from a minor league team to a major league team. Maybe I'm in South America. That team is going to push all of my immigration paperwork to me through the Teamworks app. I'm going to fill it out, sign it. I might even sign my contract on the app. Then they're going to push down my travel itinerary to me. It's going to tell me, you know, hey, when the Uber is going to pick me up, what my flight information is. As soon as I land, it's going to have, here's your interview schedule with media. Here's fittings with equipment. Hey, if you want to place an order for lunch, you can do that through the app. I mean, literally everything that I have to do related to my interaction with the club is going to happen through that application. And it's a big part of our vision as we open up Teamworks to other apps that work with the athlete. What we're trying to do is reduce the amount of apps that an athlete has to have. So if they have a playbook app, let's allow that app to push content to the athlete through that Teamworks app, consolidate that experience, make it easier for them, make that other product stickier. Really, everything that we're trying to do is consolidation, consolidation of process, consolidation of data, so that the athlete and the staff have just one app, one interface. How do you think about acquisition versus just allowing other platforms in Teamworks, right? So you guys have obviously acquired Influencer you mentioned and Notemeal, and you've raised a bunch of money now. So I would assume that there might be some plan to go acquire other businesses that would fit into what you guys are trying to build out. But it also sounds like you guys are open to onboarding basically as many other platforms into Teamworks as possible. So maybe just talk me through kind of how you think about actually acquiring some of these businesses and doing it yourself internally versus just allowing them on the platform. First and foremost, it starts with we want to align ourselves with other exceptional companies, products, and teams. You know, there's two ways that you can accomplish that. I mean, obviously, you can acquire them or you can partner with them. And I think first and foremost, we just, in every single category, we try to understand who are the best, like literally who are the best, who are the most talented teams, products, and companies. And then I think, you know, depending on where they are in their journey, have they raised a lot of institutional money? Have they already scaled up distribution or Are they just that product market fit? And they're thinking about how do I take this to thousands of teams around the world? There are moments where acquisition and the outcomes for those founders and employees are almost the same with very different risk profiles. So there are moments where acquisition is synergistic. And I think in the case of Influencer and Oatmeal, it made sense. But there are other times where it doesn't make sense for the founders to be acquired. And so in those moments, it's like, hey, well, If we can't have you on the team, how do we just partner? How do we play together? How do we run together? So I think it starts with like, who are the best? And then, you know, if it makes sense, if it's synergistic for both organizations to do an acquisition, let's go with it. But if not, let's partner because we want to make sure that we are aligned with the best in every single category. What have you seen on the NIL side with Influencer? I'm sure that business has grown a lot over the last year or two. I'm curious to see kind of how you've seen that evolve. Gosh, um, you could go a million different ways with that question, it feels like. But 
I feel like I have some friends in the army that would say it's been a kinetic environment, right? If I can be blunt, there's just a, a lot of crazy, unpredictable things happening. And I will say that our strategy, in all that chaos, you're trying to bring order, at least for your team. Say like, what do we do? Like there's a hundred ways that we could go. And our focus is number one, let's be really clear. Let's have one customer, right? Let's not try and have multiple incentives that are pulling us across different places. So at least for us, our strategy has been like, hey, we sell to the school, we work for the school. Our users are athletes. So when we think about like who we're trying to serve, we got to serve the athletes and we got to serve the school. And I think that has given us a good deal of focus and response to that. Like our job has been to build tools that ease the operations of schools and athletes in NAL. So a lot of what we're doing is just building plumbing, trying to build pipes to facilitate all these different, like, hey, there weren't collectives a year ago. Well, now we got to start thinking about how collectives engage with the schools. And hey, we're building local exchange for local businesses. Well, now collectives are starting to register in some of our schools' local exchanges. So how do we help the school with that? How do we help the athlete with that? What sort of functionality do we have to build to make that easier? Hey, now national brands want to start engaging athletes through the local exchange or other exchanges want to connect through local exchange. How do we facilitate that? So I think what we've seen is there's just this explosion of innovation and people are just trying a lot of different things. There's all different types of ways that people are trying to activate athlete NIL. It's just a lot of experimentation, which is good. The way we've reacted to that is like we just need to become extensible to as many different use cases as possible. And then as we start to see trends, so for example, you know, if we see that a lot of athletes are, you know, engaging in in-person endorsements or in-person autograph signing, well, then let's lean in on that. We're seeing a high level of transaction volume. How do we make that specific type of NIL engagement easier, remove friction? I still think we're in a period where things are changing a lot. I mean, one of the big unknowns that has in some ways held some organizations back and in other ways maybe emboldened others is the lack of enforcement and not a clear understanding of who's the sheriff. Is it the NCAA? Is it the conferences? Is it going to be the state's attorney general? Is it potentially going to be the federal government? And I think the lack, just the lack of enforcement has made some schools say, well, I don't know if I can do these things. I don't know if our athletes can do these things. And in other cases, it's emboldened some schools to say, let's get aggressive and try things. It doesn't seem like anybody's checking the speed limit. So that's one of the things that is a reason why I still think we don't know exactly what it's going to look like. And it's kind of a, it's not like a super clear answer, right? Like somebody said, like, what's your strategy with NIL? I was like, get a wide base and bend your knees. Do you have any predictions personally, how some of this looks in the next few years? I won't call it a prediction, but I think particularly with some of the revenue or ticketed sports, things get simpler if the athletes are employees. I think things get simpler for the athletes. Things get simpler for a lot of the member schools. How that happens, if that happens, that's anybody's guess. But at this point, I think things are simpler. If not all athletes, some athletes in certain sports become employees. And if certain athletic departments at the highest levels go from being a part of the institution to perhaps a corporation that has the right to represent that institution in a collegiate competition. And what do you mean by simpler? Well, for example, you know, right now, you're an athlete. If you're not sure what to eat, the school's got a nutritionist who's going to help you with that. You're having trouble in class, we got a tutor. You have an injury, we have doctors and trainers. You don't know if you should do this NIL deal, we can't help you with that. If you're an employee, NIL services, even potentially representation, can be part of the negotiated benefits that are provided to you. So it's simpler. You're an employee. You know, athletes in that scenario likely will collectively bargain. 
And that will set a standard of care and a standard of benefits and structure for pay. And just like we see at the professional level, and at least there, then there is a model to follow. I think right now we're in this really weird place where athletes can have agents, but just for one part of their life. They can make money in one way, but not in others. We can pay an athlete a monetary bonus for good grades, but not for scoring a game-winning touchdown. It's just a really weird place that we're in. And it's like, in a lot of ways, I feel like the genie's out of the bottle. These kids are getting paid for their fame. They're getting paid for their performance one way or another. Let's legalize it so that it can fall under the same structures that professional sports clubs fall under, right? Yeah. So your school, Duke, right? They just hired Rachel Baker, who is going to be the new GM of the basketball team. That feels like almost a no-brainer for every school to do, right? Because now you have someone that can go and look after a lot of these players, even if they're not, I don't even know if they're legally allowed to advise on whether they should do deals or they shouldn't or kind of compliance reasons. But ultimately, getting more organized, which I think is probably part of the reason that you guys are trying to help in this space, is going to become a huge part because I agree it's kind of become the wild west now where I would argue some of these schools don't even know what half their athletes are doing half the time. Sure, there's compliance reporting and things you're supposed to follow, but it just becomes really messy when you're dealing with 18, 19 year old kids who have the opportunity to go make money and are being approached from a million different reasons and ways. So it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out over the next few years. But I agree. I think that we've almost like gone like a little bit towards the right way and it feels like they've teased it and it almost feels like we either need to go fully in or back off, but it certainly has become a mess and and it's been fascinating to see over the last few years. I was going to say, I think one of the things that's interesting about that too, is if we do go all in, particularly with some of those ticketed sports, what happens to all the non-revenue sports? And that's a big concern. Yeah. Our system of intercollegiate athletics is a reason that our Olympic NGBs have excelled on the global scale for years. And I think we as Americans take for granted our intercollegiate system. Like when I go to other countries that don't have that same system kind of developing young athletes, really, I mean, starts even at K through 12, it's the envy of the world. And if we eliminate that, what does that mean for our competitiveness on the global scale in several of those sports? I think there are potentially several answers to how that gets addressed, but that's one of the concerns. You mentioned what Duke basketball is doing just talk about that for a second. I think it's super smart. I think a lot of schools are going to have to go to a model like that. And frankly, I think every school either is doing or should be doing the following, which is they are taking every single possible scenario from complete restructuring the NCAA, status quo, these sports become privatized, these sports don't. And they're listing all those scenarios and they're saying, how do we win in every single one of these? Because what they have got to do is the same thing that a lot of companies have had to do throughout this process is regardless of which one happens, great, pull that strategy, pull that file out of the cabinet, let's roll, right? And I think that's the biggest thing is the schools that are able to adapt to these changes the fastest are the ones that I think are going to be the future leaders of intercollegiate athletics. And there's a great opportunity if you're a school that maybe hasn't, and I think where you see some of the aggressive risk-taking is schools that have a lot to gain from all this change, right? They have a chance to blow past some of their peers. And so I think it's a great opportunity to lean in and maybe pull past the pack a bit by being more ready. I won't say more aggressive, but more ready for change. I agree with that. How many employees do you guys have? We've got 153. I was wondering because it feels like it might be difficult at some rate to service 5,000 clients. Does each team basically get like a rep, basically a service rep, and then essentially you aggregate them across the workforce? First and foremost, I would say we're doing a pretty terrible job of building software. If Every team needs a dedicated yeah. rep working with them, right? Yeah. So that's part of why 
a lot of our innovation is not just the technology, but all the technology that we wrap it in to make it easy for them to self-train, self-educate. So pretty much every league is going to have a customer success manager. So there's somebody that owns the NFL, somebody that owns the NHL, et cetera. And at a high level, their job is to drive strategic value. So to sit down with every team, whether there's somebody that's just implementing for the first time or a team like you know the 49ers that have been with us for seven seasons and say, there are 500 ways we can create value with you. You're using 450 of them. This season, we're going to try and add another 25. And now I'm going to pull in my implementation team to work with that part of your organization to drive that next piece of value. So, but our goal, you know, frankly, is to continue to get more efficient with how we deliver it. Because the more efficient we are, you know, the more of our investment can go to building technology instead of just hiring people to help people use it. We're constantly trying to walk the line between Amazon in the early days, really, like if somebody calls, we want them to have a great experience right now, solve their problem right now, unbelievable experience. And as soon as we hang up, we need to say, how do we make sure they never need to call us again? And that's really, I think that's the approach we have to take as a company. And it's one of the reasons why we've been able to scale, I think, so effectively is that a mindset has been like, we've got to be able to deliver software with technology as well. Right. That makes sense. My last question would be around the recent round of fundraising. There's obviously been a downturn in the market. It seems like some VCs have at least slowed kind of the amount of capital they're putting out. And as the operator of a business, I mean, you're obviously growing a big business, but the sole job of an operator is really just not run out of money. Right. And you guys have obviously raised more money and you're in a good position now. Was it more difficult this time than you expected or no? Given the market conditions, irrelative to kind of your business. So it was an inside round. So I think number one, this came about because our existing investors had pretty high conviction. Number one about our position. I mean, and we believe, and I think the numbers speak for in the problems that we're solving, we're the leader in the market. I think number two, they've got access to our numbers. They know we're performing and they feel comfortable about where we're going. But I will say like we did bring in some new kind of individuals outside of the company. And I think we had over 30 kind of current and former professional athletes. And you know, there were a lot of folks that kind of peeled off, you know, in the final weeks because they were like, hey, we're going pencils down. We're worried about this. We're worried about that. So and I've got a lot of friends that have either raised rounds or raising rounds right now. It's hard. And I think for most investors, most investors, if they're writing checks, it's to their own portfolio companies. Right. Making sure that their companies are going to get to the other side of this. But I will say this. I mean, we think that the next few years are going to present an incredible opportunity for companies that are well capitalized, like just an incredible opportunity. Yeah. If you have capital right now, and if you're in a position where you can write checks, you're sitting pretty, it seems, just given kind of the overall microdynamics. Dude, this was great. Thank you so much for doing this. Where can I send people to find out more about Teamworks, find you guys online? I'm sure there's people that are listening to this that are either kind of in positions of power at these organizations or these teams. And if they want to learn more about you guys or potentially sign up, where can they go do that? Then you just go to teamworks.com. Easy, simple. Joe, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. All right, everyone. That's it for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, I appreciate you listening to The Joe Pomp Show. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple or Spotify so that you don't miss any episodes going forward. And if you are looking for additional content, check out my daily newsletter at readhuddleup.com or follow me on Twitter at Joe Pompliano. I hope you have a great day and I'll see you next time.